Good morning. And greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, as we gather today, it is good to be here. It is good to gather with God's people to worship him, to come apart, to come aside from the world and to glorify him in our worship and our praises. Just wanted, I just have one announcement today. The elders will meet this afternoon at three o'clock um, and it includes my annual review. So if you have anything for that, please talk to one of the elders. And um, I know you're just going to tell them how wonderful it is. Um, no, seriously, communicate with them if you have anything for that. Are there any other announcements? Well, if not, our call to worship today, these words by which God calls us into his presence, come from Psalm 66, beginning in verse 8. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Selah. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, the triune God who acts in all creation to save a people unto himself, we come humbly into your presence today. You have set us free from our slavery to sin and brought us to worship you today. You have tested us and refined us like silver through trials and tribulations, burdens and persecutions. And in those trials, we cried out to you and you answered. Because you have set us free from the trials and tribulations and burdens and persecutions, we gather here to worship you. Remind us that you have promised never to leave or forsake us. Remind us that you are here with us right now in every moment of our lives. We are here to worship you. We worship through listening to the reading and teaching of your word, through giving of tithes and offerings, through singing your word and through praying your word. Hear and accept this prayer, which you taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take Bible songs, that green book there in your pew, and turn to Bible song number 133. He set me free. Psalm 34.3, which is the chorus for Bible song 133, says, Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. God has heard our prayers and he answers them. And this is more than enough reason for us to join together in glorifying his name through song. 
So let us stand and sing and lift our voices by singing Bible song 133, He Set Me Free. Please be seated. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Part of returning to God with all our heart is through the confession of our sins and repenting of our sins. So please join me as we read responsively this confession of sin. Eternal God, you do not change. You have revealed yourself to us in your word. You call us to worship you in spirit and in truth. 
but we confess that we often worship a God and who we wish you to be. We frequently ask you to bless what we do rather than seeking to do what you bless. Forgive us for seeking concessions when we should be seeking guidance. You command us to be generous with our love and resources for the sake of the church and the loss. But we have been selfish and insensitive to the needs and opportunities around us. Display your glory before us, that we might bow before your unspeakable majesty. Amen. Lift up your heads and hear the assurance given to us by Peter. To God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient unto the faith. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord, it does stand forever. Scripture calls each and every one of us to bring our abundance to the Lord. This is a command to worship God through the giving of tithes and offerings, and out of gratitude for what God has done for us, we bring in our tithes. Out of the joy for the greatness of God's abundant mercies, we go beyond the tithe by giving of our offerings. So places are provided at the door here to my right and also at the entry at the back of the sanctuary. And if you are more comfortable, you can also mail in your tithes and offerings to the church. Now prayerfully consider what God would have you to give.
join me in prayer. God above, you have provided life, salvation, and guidance to holiness through the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've also provided the things we need for daily sustenance and survival. And we have responded to all that you have given by returning a portion to you in these tithes and offerings. Please be honored by them and please use them for your glory and for your gospel message. In Jesus' precious name, amen. In your insert, in your bulletin, you should have, It is well with my soul. The story of this hymn continually amazes me. Horatio Spafford penned these words as the ship sailed over the spot where his children drowned. And while the author found comfort in his grief, he found greater comfort in the bliss of knowing that the whole of his sin had been nailed to the cross. and He no longer bore its weight and its guilt. So let us find that peace as we join together in singing, It Is Well With My Soul.
Amen. Please be seated. It is important for the people of God to know and to proclaim what it is that we believe. So join with me as we proclaim together through the Apostles' Creed. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Just a couple of updates today. Um, continue to pray for Kimberly. She had a, a little bit of a setback last week, ended up uh, having a, a small outpatient procedure done to correct some bleeding in Charlottesville, but she's back at home um, and recuperating again. So just continue to pray for them and for the, for the rest of her recuperation. Um, any other updates or prayer requests? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You are the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God. You are the triune creator of the universe and savior of those who put their trust in you. All things belong to you and you hold all things in your hands. By the words of your mouth, you created all things through and for the Son, Because of the Son's work, we have salvation. We came to you and confessed our sin, and we heard words from you that were words of forgiveness and reconciliation. And this is only true because the Son lived a righteous life and paid the penalty for our sins, satisfying your wrath against us. And thanks be to God that you sent the Holy Spirit to us to regenerate us and to give us the gift of faith. We have believed you and you have credited it to us as righteousness. We thank you for the blessings that we have seen from your hand. You have protected many of us from this virus that seems to be ravaging our nation and our world. Or you have given healing where the virus has taken hold in this body. You have provided mightily in times of hunger and in need. You have given safety in travels and comfort in loss. You have established this congregation and fairly and have sustained us through times of want and times of abundance. You have worked your miracle of regeneration and your grace of sanctification in our lives so that we love you more and seek to be more like you. Thank you, O generous God, who lavishes blessing after blessing upon your people. We lift before you the needs that we carry with us. We think of Kimberly and ask that you would continue to bring her healing, continue to strengthen her, 
Continue to be with her family, giving them comfort and strength as they seek to care for her. We pray for Cohen and ask that you would bring him healing, a miraculous healing from this disease that ravages his little body. We pray for the families of Teresa Anderson and Melba Arndt and ask that you bring comfort to them in the midst of their loss. And for all the other illnesses and sicknesses, for all the other needs and difficulties in this life, we pray that you would meet them with grace, with strength, with healing, and with comfort. We cry out for you to lift the oppression of this virus from our world. Where people are free from the illness brought on by this virus, they are still suffering. We are suffering under the weight of isolation. It is not good that we should be alone. You created us as social human beings. And forced isolation is causing mental illness and in some cases taking lives. This virus has brought economic devastation as businesses have closed and jobs have been lost. We ask that you use this to remind us that we should pursue you and your kingdom rather than the goods of this world. And yet we are suffering under the weight of our own selfish desires and an unwillingness to show grace and mercy in the midst of disagreement. Help us to seek to understand so that we may communicate the wonders and joys of your good news to a community, to a world that needs you. Help us to be salt and light in this community. In the return from exile, you sent your prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel and Joshua, the governor and priest of Israel, and your message to them was be strong. This call to be strong came with a promise. You promised to shake the heavens and the earth with your presence and to draw the nations to you. At the death of your son, Jesus, and on the day of Pentecost, the earth shook. You kept your promise. And in the knowledge that the gospel message has shaken the world and draws the nations, we ask that you help us to be strong in the declaration of that message. Fill us with the hope that you will come again to shake the world once more. Help us to live in the hope-filled strength that what we build for you will be of eternal significance. And God, I ask that you come and shake this church and shake Greenbrier County. Give us the strength to be faithful in our service to you. Draw the people of this community to you. Make this church a place where people want to find the truth, the truth that sets them free. You have worked mightily through this church in the past. We beg you to do that again. And we know that you, the God who is the same today, yesterday, and forever, will be faithful to do a mighty work through this church again. And so today I come before you, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. Last week we kind of looked at an overview of spiritual gifts, and we talked about spiritual gifts being uh, Trinitarian, graciously given gifts by God by which he empowers his church to serve him and to build his kingdom in this world. Peter lists two gifts or two categories of gifts which will guide our discussion of the specific gifts 
uh, this week and next week, gifts of service and gifts of speaking. And today we will consider the gifts of service as we look to Peter's words in 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, we come before your word today seeking understanding, seeking sanctification. Give us clarity and self-control as we examine our hearts and our actions through the light and lens of your holy word. Through the work of Jesus, you have changed us and set us apart for your holy work. Now let the Holy Spirit work in us, developing love for you and love for our neighbors. Remind us that the end is near. Remind us that you call us to love one another and serve you by serving them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So how are you tempted to end a project or a ministry that God is bringing to a close in your life? Unfortunately, I have the temptation when I come to the end of a project or to the end of a ministry to just kind of put it on cruise control and coast. There's a definite end in sight. The goal is in sight and attainable, but before time expires, I'm just going to kind of sit back and relax and rest upon my laurels. Or to put it a different way, there's a definite end to my ministry. God is in control of the results, not me. So I'll just take my foot off the accelerator and coast to the finish line. But Peter takes a separate stance in this letter to the scattered church. Since the end is near, he says, pray and serve. Must be maybe far different than what you expect to hear from someone who so clearly states the end of all things is near. It's almost as if Peter is saying, God gave you a task. The end of that task is near, so keep going. Keep working. Our continued work is to be rooted in love, love for God and love for others. And it is in this context of love that Peter reminds us that God has given us gifts to serve him in the church. And not only has he given us gifts, but he has given us the strength to exercise those gifts for his honor. And for his glory, he speaks of two gifts, gifts of speech, gifts of service. Today, we are going to look into the gifts of service and see what is meant by those gifts and see how we can use them for God's love and for love of others. First, what is service? The word translated serve in today's passage there near the end where it says if, if anyone serves, he should do it in the strength that God provides is a word that shows up. Uh, frequently uh, and for many, many years in Greek thought and in Greek literature. And it's a word that it, at its most basic means uh, to serve a meal or to wait tables. Um, in ancient Greece, outside of the, um, excuse me, 
outside of the New Testament, this was a role that was uh, not undertaken by somebody of importance or somebody of wealth. It was it was reserved specifically for servants and women. I'm sorry, but in the ancient Greece, women did not have a very high uh, position within culture, uh, a, a problem that was rectified by Christianity uh, very much as women were lifted in esteem and also in equality as the image of God. But it was a it was a, a a position that was looked down on, and it was a position that originally centered around serving tables, serving meals. And there's instances in the New Testament where it's used this way. In John chapter twelve, verse two, Jesus is at a banquet at the home of his friends Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and Martha is described as serving the guests as they ate. In fact, in another account of another feast there. Martha comes to Jesus and says, why don't you have Mary help me serve the tables as she should be doing? And Jesus chastises Martha and says, Mary is doing the right thing by sitting and by learning at the feet of a rabbi. As the word grew in its usage, the idea of serving shifted from the table and became uh, associated with service for the state or for the city. But it was still done somewhat selfishly by those who were important. I would only serve if I were important. I would only serve the state or the city in a way that would benefit me more than it benefited the state or the city. It was about my ego. It was about my importance. It was about my expression of my power and my place in a society. The biblical view of service is far different. In the Old Testament, service, especially to God, was seen as a worthwhile pursuit, as an expression of love, both for God and for neighbor. Remember, the the law is summarized in those two commands. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. As the Jewish idea of service changed and evolved over the years. The Pharisees had developed a threefold system that allowed exceptions to the call to offer loving service to one's neighbor. First, they they divided or categorized humanity into righteous or unrighteous. And the thing that made you righteous was an ethnic division. If you were a Jew, you were righteous. If you were a Gentile, you were unrighteous. And the Pharisees taught that you did not owe service to the unrighteous or to the Gentile. Secondly, they ceased to see service as a sacrifice of self on behalf of others. And it came to be seen as a way to earn merit or favor with God. Not only did you have to keep the law, but you had to be seen to be serving others. And thirdly, they drilled the distinction over who received service down even further to within ethnic Israel that those who were worthy received service and those who were unworthy were ignored. Think of the lepers of Jesus' time as they had to live outside the city according to the law, but were ignored, were looked down upon, were, were insulted at times because they were unworthy of receiving the attention of the good, godly, and righteous Pharisees. And this is the world that Jesus entered by becoming a servant himself. In fact, Jesus explicitly states in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, that he did not come to the world to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. 
In that ultimate service, Jesus denied himself, took on flesh, and dwelt among us in order to render a service of perfect love to God and to man. We stand before God as reconciled and redeemed because Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, served God's good will, his good purposes, as we learned in Sunday school today. Jesus tells the disciples in John 15, 13, that greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He was getting ready to show that great self-sacrificing love on the cross. What glorious service on behalf of those who deserve to have the back of the Son of God to be turned on them in their sin and rebellion, and yet in love for God and man. He became sin for us. So when he tells his disciples in Mark 10, 45, to pursue service in loving humility rather than for personal gain, he is getting ready to give them an example and the strength necessary to be able to do that in a way that shows love to God and man. Because in reality, when you and I think about service, we think about it very much in the same way that the ancient Greeks did. I will serve only as long as it benefits me and makes me feel important. Or we view it in the way that the Pharisees did, that there are some who are worthy of service and others who are not worthy of that service. And yet Jesus has done a work that changes our hearts so that we are in tune to the service that he has for us. And in fact, he in changing our hearts, he gives us the example as well. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse five, Paul is dealing with two factions within the Philippian church that are fighting, that are duking it out. And, he, and, and the answer that he gives to them comes in Philippians 2, verse 5, a very familiar passage. But he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This self-sacrifice, this putting aside of who he was, when we talk about somebody being important and somebody being unworthy, Jesus was was important enough and we were unworthy enough that he did not have to serve us in the way that he did. And yet in love for us, he became obedient even unto death, a death on a cross. And that is the foundation of service within God's kingdom, within God's economy. It is that self-sacrifice. Sometimes, yes, even unto death. Remember, greater love has no man, no one, no person, than that he or she lay down their life for their friends. The gift of service is rooted in this self-sacrifice. It is rooted in seeing other people's needs and being willing to sacrifice in order to meet those needs. 
And sometimes, even though we are all called to that, God gifts people, especially through his grace, through his strength, with the spiritual gift of service. And he calls us to use those gifts within the church. So how do we use this self-sacrificial gift of service in love as we seek to live out the gospel in our own lives and in our own churches? Well, I think the other passages on spiritual gifts gives us some examples. Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, and Ephesians 4, 10 and 11 give us lists of spiritual gifts. Now, most commentators that I've consulted look at these lists, and since there is some overlap, but there's also some uniqueness to each list, they don't consider these to be exhaustive lists of the spiritual gifts. And so we're not going to consider them as exhaustive lists of the spiritual gifts. Another reason for that is, is if we look at this as exhaustive, we may miss areas of service that we are gifted for. If we look at these things as exhaustive as the only spiritual gifts that there are, well, then if God calls me to serve somewhere outside of that, I may have an excuse not to do it because, you know, I just may not be gifted for it, so I'm not responsible for it. So we're going to look at these as examples of ways for those who are gifted with service to serve. And we're going to look at four of these gifts, three of them which have quite a bit of overlap. The first is the gift of faith as found in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. Now, I need to make clear real quick before we look at what Paul means here, I want to look at what he does not mean. This is not saving faith. If, as Paul says in Romans 10, you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead and are saved because of that, you have been given the gift of saving faith. Every Christian, every believer, every follower of Jesus has been gifted saving faith. This is a different type of faith. This is, this is a, a special measure of confidence in difficult times. Think back in your life, and, and maybe you are this person. If so, this is a gift from God to you. But think back to your life, to that person that it just seemed that no matter how difficult life got, no matter what medical diagnosis they got, no matter how many times they lost their job, no matter how much difficulty God just seemed to pour upon this poor child of God, they always had a strong, grounded confidence in God being able to come through for them and an ability to speak that confidence into your life. Now, I'm, I'm not talking some kind of Pollyanna, Kesarasara, fatalistic, whatever will be, will be. But a true, grounded, founded knowledge of God's promises in the Scripture and a true confidence in the work that God had done in their lives in their past that just gave them an extra special measure of confidence in the midst of turmoil and difficulty. Craig Blomberg describes it this way. He says that they have the gift of faith as a special measure of faith that God can work miracles or will sustain mightily someone who needs a miracle. 
It, it's, it's a gift. I, there are times when I have gone through the depths of despair and have just wanted to hear from God and He has brought somebody into my life that just exuded a confidence in God and in God's ability to see me through. That's what we're talking about here. And, and, and you use that in service. It's behind the scenes. It involves speaking. There's great overlap between the gifts of speech and the gifts of service, as we'll see moving forward. But, but it's more a gift of being able to serve through communicating that faith to those who need it. The second gift is found in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. And it is the contribution to needs of others. Now, you really probably don't need me to explain what that one means. And I know I'm and, and I know that each and every one of us is commanded out of our abundance to give to those who need. But, you know, some of us struggle to do so. We 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 obey more out of more out of duty than out of gifting. But once again, I have seen men and women who who seem able to see a financial need and to be fill and to fill that need in a way that honors and glorifies God. Sometimes that is through a gift in an emergency situation. Other times that's through teaching um, good financial resources. Once somebody has gotten over the emergency situation and is in danger of moving into a chronic financial need. It's people who are able to give of food in times of need. It's it's people who are able to actually take something tangible and give it away without reservation to those who have a physical need that need to be filled. Third, and once again, this one overlaps with the one I just talked about and the one I'm going to talk about next, um, is uh, doing or showing Mercy. This is, though, deals with the heart issue. In fact, the word mercy translated there in Romans 12, 6 through 8, doing or showing acts of mercy is translated loving kindness in other places. In the Old Testament, it is used to describe God's covenant faithfulness or his steadfast love. For us, it's the idea that we are moved emotionally because of a shared existence as the people of God or a shared identity as the image of God. Some people can see need and want and be moved to help. I pray for God to give me that kind of compassion sometimes. It's a it's um, it. It's that moving to want to enter into the pain and the suffering of another person, whether you help or not. Job's three friends started out so well showing, doing mercy. After Job has lost everything, his home, his flocks, his wealth, his family, his health, his three friends, we're told, just came and sat and were quiet with him because they were moved to compassion for Job. And fourth, from 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and 30, we see the gift of helps or helping. Probably the best way to explain this is to refer to Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. What are the four things that Jesus talked about in that? When you saw me hungry, you fed me. When you saw me imprisoned, you visited me. When you saw me thirsty, you gave me drink. 
And when I was sick, you tended to my needs. Now, in reality, all three of these things greatly overlap, showing mercy, contributing to the needs of others and helping. But each of these are seen as ways in which we use the gift of service on behalf of the body of Christ and on behalf of um, the community at large around us. In fact, in the New Testament, there were people that were seen to exhibit these gifts to such a level that they were set apart. In Acts chapter 6, we, we read of what we understand to be the first conflict that arose in the church. You had thousands of people in Jerusalem gathered around the gospel message that was proclaimed on the day of Pentecost by Peter and by the other disciples and apostles. And as these people gathered around this message, as they had their lives changed, this message drew people from all economic places within the community, the rich and the poor. And the poor felt as though they were being divided when it came to distributing the resources of the church, divided along ethnic lines. And so they came to the apostles, they lodged their complaints. The apostles said, we have been called to serve. Interesting, it's the exact same word we've been talking about here. We have been called to serve the word and the prayer. Let us set apart a group of people, a group of men who are called to serve the table. To serve the physical needs of the church and the community around them. And we took this word service in Acts chapter 6 and throughout the rest of the New Testament, we twisted the pronunciation of it so it sounds far more English than it does Greek. And we call them deacons. Deacons, you are set apart for the work of service, both to the physical needs of the church and for the physical needs of the community. You are called to see the needs in the church and in the community. And to meet those needs in a wise way with the resources that God has given to us. For those who are gifted with service, serve as though you are serving God. Now it's important for us to remember something. Just because I may not have been gifted in these areas of service does not mean that I can ignore needs when they are presented to me. But thanks be to God that he has given me a congregation which is part of his body that has been gifted with people who can serve those needs. So if I don't know what to do, there are people I can go to or talk to or examples that I can follow as I am called to serve God out of love for him and love for my community. And thanks be to God that out of his grace, He has gifted some to serve in order to build his kingdom in his community. So how do we exercise these gifts, this gift of service in fairly West Virginia and surrounding communities? First, we need to ask ourselves, each and every one of us, not just those gifted with service, but each and every one of us need to ask ourselves, do we love the church and the community? Not just the idea of church, not just the idea of community, But put yourself in my place, looking out and seeing the individual 
people that make up this church? Do you love them? Do you love each other? Look at people walking up and down the street, driving up and down the street in the communities in which we live. Do you love them? Do I love them? Do we love God enough to love them? Secondly, once you answer that question, look around and see what needs there are in the church and in the community. Is somebody struggling to make ends meet within the church? Do we need to come alongside them? Does the poor guy who plays clarinet downtown, as he's walking home in the freezing rain, does he need a ride? Robert does, by the way, most of the time. Just tell him you know Joseph Lutz. He'll let you let you take him home. Are there lonely people in your community in type in need of some type of companionship, whether they are shut-ins or whether they are strangers that somebody you just overheard talking about? Can you call them? Can you visit them? Can you offer them companionship? Is someone in your neighborhood not as capable of clearing their walk or their driveway after a snow? It really isn't that hard to find areas in which we can serve. And if you find yourself more in tune with the physical and financial needs of the church or of the community, you may be gifted by God in the area of service. And if you're not sure, talk to myself or to one of the deacons and ask them where in the church you could serve. As I mentioned last week, one of the best ways to find your spiritual gift is to actually do something within the church. You'll find out really quickly if you're gifted for it, if you actually try it. And if you're not, you can thank God for the opportunity and move on to the next thing. But if you are, you can build opportunities. You can build ministries within this church. God's working in this world and he has gifted us to come alongside him. And we are called to serve our church and our community because we love God and we love our neighbor. Let us pray. God of love, we look at the signs around us and we are tempted to see the end and coast until your return. May it not be so. May we be strengthened in your gifting and your love to see the needs around us and to serve those needs. For those whom you have gifted specially with gifts of service, show them clearly the strength and the gift. Help them to find outlets for service and to seek your glory as they serve. And help the rest of us to see needs that we have been blind to and work to serve others in those needs so that you might be glorified and so that we too may find that we are gifted by you for acts of service. I pray all of these things knowing that you hear, knowing that you answer. In Jesus' precious name, amen. In light of this call to serve, Let us stand and sing hymn number 283. Just as Jesus served, we have been called to serve him and to serve each other. Let us remind ourselves that this work is difficult and toilsome, but God strengthens each of us for the work. So let us stand and sing hymn number 283. Go, labor, spend and be spent.
Amen. As you seek how and where to serve this week, remember that God has given each of you a gift according to his grace. And he will strengthen you in that gift to honor and glorify him through its use. So as you seek to serve, take this blessing upon you. May the God of peace, who brought through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may that God of peace equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And we cry out to God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.